So last evening, Zoha raised the golden question of this practice. The golden question in this path of wisdom and compassion. And that question is, what creates suffering? What gives rise to suffering? What are the conditions that support suffering in arising and in staying longer, in perpetuating it, in exacerbating it, in intensifying it. Conversely or inversely, uh, we can ask also what supports well-being? What are the conditions that support, enhance, intensify, well-being. So this is a golden question of this path. What we want is to understand suffering, how suffering is compounded, created, fabricated. Once we understand that, we then have an opportunity uh, not to do it. We can learn not to do, not to create suffering for ourselves and for others. So this is a golden question in this path. How do we create suffering? Unnecessary suffering, avoidable suffering. No, no, because there is a certain amount of pain that is unavoidable, that is part of life. And we all, as human beings, have to deal with that. And there are ways to relate to that pain that doesn't create unnecessary suffering. And suffering has uh, different levels. I'm going to address here the, here the most common level, the level that uh, draws most people to this path. It's not the only one. But the most common level of suffering that we create, uh, to me, has um, two big or very broad causes. One, reactivity. And two, entanglement with unhelpful and wholesome habits of the mind. So very, very, two very broad categories in which we can find the causes of most of the um, suffering that uh, I'm going to address in these instructions. This reactivity can be to outer events, situations we are in, or it can be also to inner experience. And this reactivity and typically has two forms. One is craving, 
and the other one is aversion. And the they, they are the opposite to each other. So craving is this pursuit of something pleasant or that we deem, that we think is going to provide to deliver pleasantness. It's this drive to pursue that when we don't have it. It's also the drive to try to, to hold on to it when we have it or try to replicate it in the future to make it more intense. The other movement, the movement of aversion, is the attempt uh, to avoid what is unpleasant, what we don't want, what we don't like, to try to avoid it if it is not present to try to get rid of it if it is present. We don't want it in our experience. We want to get rid of it. We may want even to destroy the cause of that unpleasantness, if we can. If none of those strategies work, sometimes, sometimes, we don't want to feel, we don't want to experience. We would rather be numb or shut down. The sensitivity, the consciousness. Either using substances or, or just an inner shutdown. And this creates uh, problems. Because many of the things we pursued, many of the objects of our cravings, are not wholesome. They may deliver some instant, short-term gratification, but there is pain and suffering further down the line. In this pursuit of the pleasant, we may engage in unwholesome activities. That's another issue. In the pursuit, we, we may act in ways that are not wholesome and conducive to proper and well-being, to real well-being. And and just the bottom, bottom line, this, this yielding to this craving, to this force, in the end, is going to render us powerless. Just to yield to this movement is depriving us for, from using our freedom. And, and a similar thing happens with uh, aversion. Uh, some of the things actually that we uh, get aversive to, that we don't want to experience, actually they are good for us. They are wholesome. 
let's say, for example, uh, to say the truth. Sometimes to say the truth is difficult. It's unpleasant if it's going to bring us, uh, you know, a conflict, uh, for example. Having a difficult conversation that we need to have. We, we know that's good that we have that conversation, that we say some things, but it's unpleasant. So there are some, there are some unpleasant things that are wholesome, actually, but due to aversion, we may try to avoid them. And in trying to avoid what is unpleasant or get rid of it, we may also engage in unwholesome actions, unwholesome behavior. And finally, the yielding to this aversion, to this force, also renders us powerless. It deprives us of our power to choose what is the appropriate response to any situation. So these two movements, if we, if we agree with them, if we go along with them, are taking away us from real well-being. For a long-term well-being, for a deeper well-being. So this is the first, uh, to me, one of the uh, first um, causes of, of unnecessary suffering, reactivity, either to the pleasant or to the unpleasant, the craving or aversion. The second category that I mentioned, entanglement with um, unhelpful, unwholesome, habits of the mind, uh, it has kind of uh, two steps. The first one, we lose presence, we lose awareness, we lose mindfulness, we lose consciousness. And the second one, we are lost. We are lost in thinking. And this thinking may be something very you know, very trivial, very innocent, like a daydream. Many of us go into this daydreaming, or we may go into problem solving. That's one that I notice uh, a lot in myself, and trying to sort out my life and all the issues and problems in, in my life. It may be that we go to the past, relieve things that happened in the past, or project to the future, creating future scenarios, things that may happen. Or we may be just uh, obsessing about something that's really bothering us, or that we, we think is going to be, that is very important and keeps coming back again and again, again and again. 
And as I said, uh, some of these patterns may, may not feel that problematic. For example, some may, some daydream, daydreams uh, can be actually quite pleasant. Hmm? Some fantasies we go into may feel actually pleasant. So th there is here a range from some pleasant um, habits of thinking, patternings of thinking, to mildly pleasant, to neutral, and then to difficult, challenging, and to really, really, really afflictive um, emotions that these patterns give rise to. Some of them are really agonizing. For example, when we uh, keep reliving very painful things that happened in the past, or keep um, regretting something unwholesome that we did in the past, or resentment about something that was done to us in the past. Or when we create um, you know, catastrophic scenarios that may happen in the future. The sense of anxiety, stress about that. That can arise. And obsessions can be also really, really oppressive, very oppressive mm. obsessions. And they really close us to uh, other peoples and, and, and to the world, to life. We're really spinning around, around something mm. that really doesn't allow us to open to others and to life. So if we allow us to get into that, into losing ourselves in, in thinking, uh, sooner or later we may run into one of these uh, afflictive and difficult mental habit patterns. But also, uh, the yielding to this habit of getting lost into thinking uh, also deprives us from our freedom. It also render, renders us powerless. I don't know if you have noticed, I'm really here connecting power with freedom. Power with freedom and with well-being in the end. Because if we, if, we have, if we have the chance to choose, we are going to choose what is really wholesome and good for us. Following the natural movement towards well-being that each one of us feel deep inside and is the cause that brought us here.
So, okay, this is a picture, a really broad picture of how we get into trouble. This um, basic answer to the question, uh, how does suffering come into being? What creates suffering? I'm just addressing, you know, the, the most common level of suffering. So this reactivity and this getting entangled with unhelpful, unwholesome ha uh, mental habit patterns. So now, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? So I'm going to suggest here something. Not to foster, um, not to support reactivity and entanglement with unwholesome mental habit patterns. And the first thing that we would need to do in order to get out of this uh, way of creating suffering is to establish and to develop a strong presence or mindfulness or awareness. This is the first step towards freedom. Presence, mindfulness. That is going to prevent or to diminish the movement of reactivity and the getting lost into thinking. And the best way to establish and to develop this presence, this mindfulness, is to find an anchor for our attention. And I'm going to suggest, um, and we'll go into practice in, in a little bit, that you experiment, that you search which anchor suits you best. And that may be a part of your body. I suggest that you start experimenting with a lower part of your body. Feet, legs, buttocks. For some people, a very good anchor is the breath. But, but it may be that neither the lower part of your body or the breath uh, you find suitable, it may be that for you it sounds. Hmm? So I'm going to invite you to, to try out, to experiment and to see which anchor you find more grounding, you feel it more grounding. Uh, that will be different for different people. So the first uh, invitation is to explore, to explore. 
which one do you feel a kind of refuge? You can see it as a refuge. We really want to find a good refuge from reactivity and from getting lost. Getting lost in unhelpful mental habit patterns. A good refuge for the mind. So the first invitation is to explore, to find your refuge. And the second invitation is to incline the mind to dwell there, to dwell in your refuge, to dwell in that place where you feel most grounded. How do you incline your mind to dwell there? Well, first, once you found your refuge or, or you have decided to explore uh, a place as a refuge, is to direct your attention there. You gently direct your attention there. You bring it. Second, you sustain your attention in that place. You want your attention to remain there, in the sole of your feet, in your knees, or your buttocks, or the movement of your breath, or the sounds. Sustaining your attention. Sooner or later, you're going to discover your attention was not there. You were distracted or, or lost into thinking. So that's a very important uh, moment. It's not a moment of failure at all. It's a moment of recognition. It's part of the practice to know, to recognize when you were lost and where. If you bring that curiosity as well, where, where are the places where your mind tends to go? So you start to learn about your mind, about the patterns of your mind. So that's a very important moment in your practice. It's part of the practice, that recognition. And see if you can bring a sense of celebration when you wake up after being lost a celebration that now, in this moment, you have woken up. In this moment, you are present. In this moment, doesn't matter for how long you were lost. Now, you are present. Can, you, can we all bring a sense of celebration? It really changes. If you change the relationship with this moment, that's, make, that's going to make a huge impact in your practice. And with that celebration, can we really savior that moment of mindfulness, of presence? Really taking your time, oh, 
Actually, being present feels good. Even if when what you are experiencing is unpleasant. That's something that I invite you to explore as well. It's a kind of deeper, it, can, it brings a deeper a pleasantness. Being present. And then once we have recognized we were lost and we are present in this moment, to gently bring your attention back to your anchor, to your refuge. With, with some firmness, hmm? but also with gentleness and kindness. With kindness. As I said this morning, this practice is an act of kindness. If we don't do it with kindness, we are defeating the, the, the very purpose of the practice. With gentleness and kindness, we redirect, we bring our attention back to our anchor. We reconnect. You can see it also as a reconnection with your body, with the breath. Like we, when we reconnect with a friend we haven't seen for a while. That, that sense of, ah, I'm really looking forward to reconnecting with my body to resume the connection. You know, some, sometimes I have this simile, that this image of how um, of, of the, the qualities to bring to the attention when we do this movement. And it's, the, it's like, um, to me, the simile is like crossing a road with a child. And you hold the hand of a child, because you, you don't want the child to be run over a car. So you really hold the hand. Firmly enough, the child doesn't run away because uh, the child uh, doesn't understand the danger and maybe wants to run away. So firmly enough, so the child doesn't run away, but not too tight, too strong that you uh, create harm to the child. And, you know, you want to cross that road and to, uh, you know, uh, because of an act of care, you don't want the child to be run over a car. In the same way, we bring this spirit of care and of kindness to this movement, to this practice. So let's now practice for a little bit. So you may want to stand up and stretch. We've been sitting for a while. Gently stretching your body or moving it in whatever way it feels helpful.
and little by little finishing the stretching the movement and coming to sit taking your seat adopting a posture that supports uprightness in your body but without tension with a sense of ease and relaxation. If it is comfortable for you, you may want to close your eyes Just beginning this exploration is which part of your body Do you feel as a suitable anchor for your attention? Where do you find a sense of grounding?
maybe the sole of your feet your knees or your legs or your buttocks Maybe your hands.
Or it may be the sensations of a movement of a breath in your body. Wherever it is easiest for you to notice the sensations of a breath, It may be in the abdominal area. Or your chest. It may be in your nostrils. Following the sensations of the breath from the beginning, the in breath, all the way through the in breath, from the beginning of the out breath, all the way through the out breath. As you breathe with a sense of ease and comfort.
fully aware with the in-breath and fully aware with the out-breath. You may also want to explore sounds as an anchor for your attention, as a refuge. You may want to open yourself to receive sounds We are not interested in 
whatever is producing the sound. But in the sound itself. The quality, the duration,
So it's time now for walking meditation. You know, this practice is not only done while we are sitting. Uh, the Buddha actually mentioned four postures for practicing. One of them is sitting meditation. But also walking can be a valid posture and very conducive to understanding as well. So the basics of walking meditation is um, finding a path. It can be 10, 15 meters long with a beginning and an end. And to walk mindfully from the beginning to the end. <coughs> you may want to walk at a slower pace as you walk normally, but not so slow that your equilibrium gets compromised. And you may want to bring your attention to the sole of your feet as you place your feet on the ground and then lift it and then place the other one. Or you may want to bring your attention to the whole legs or your hips, even the whole body in motion, in movement. Just, just play around, play around and, and, and see what you feel more, um, more grounding. Mm. When you get to the end, you may want to pause just to feel your body standing, maybe bringing some attention to the sensations of the breath, if that helps, and then turning round and doing the same in the other direction. You walk, obviously, with your eyes open, but just placing your gaze at two or three meters in front of you just to know where you are stepping. If not, it's very easy to get distracted. And also very, very tempting to, to check what others are doing and how others are walking. And, and then the comparing mind may kick off. And so just keep it, keep it simple. Just, just uh, gazing, looking just in front of you to know where you are stepping on. And you will get distracted as when you practice it in meditation. And the same, with the same spirit of gentleness, but with some firmness, as you just bring your attention back to your anchor, again and again, again and again, with kindness. Just remembering that this practice is an act of kindness to yourself and ultimately to everybody. You do this for yourself and for everybody else. <coughs> so we've got now this period of walking meditation. If you want to check your posture on to or to ask about posture also, uh, please remain in, in the hall and we will address those questions if you have any. And if not, uh, yes, have, have a good uh, walking meditation and see you
here back at 11.30. Yeah, thank you. So we'll just say some general things about posture and then uh, open to questions and hopefully also have time to work one-on-one -on -one with those who wish to, to just check um, how your posture is and what could support that. Um, so I'll, I'll just recap some of the things I said yesterday and add a few to that. Uh, it can be so just these two things to remember uh, around a stable posture, supportive posture. If the hips can be higher than the knees, um, you can see that on some of the meditation benches. Yeah. And if you think of an ergonomic chair, we have a few of those as well. You see that slant. Yeah, there's a little bit of an angle there. Um, also on the chair wedges, like the one I'm sitting on at the moment. Yeah, if you put that on a chair. That also creates an angle. Yeah, that supports, for many of us, this principle of uh, the hips being uh, higher uh, than the knees. And as I said yesterday, what that allows is an opening of the knees and then support for the back to be naturally more upright and relaxed um, and also allows the belly to, to soften. It's an area that we often hold. Um, so we can... Uh, kind of get to that in a few ways. Yeah, we can uh, bring up the buttocks often, that kind of bring up the knees. So um, you might want to, to kind of use a chair wedge if you're sitting on a chair uh, or um, an extra cushion underneath if you're sitting uh, in a cross-legged position underneath your bum. Um, and also with the benches, we could play with the, with the height. So there are benches at different heights, and we can also add cushions to them. So that's one uh, thing to, to pay attention. And feel free, as I'm speaking of these things, feel free to try them yourself. Yeah? As I'm speaking, as I'm mentioning these things, use the things you have or go into the cushion room at the back, the treasure trove of props, and, um, and get some extra things. 
uh, if that feels like it would be helpful. Um, similarly, with that hips above knees, the three points of contact. Yeah. So, um, as I'm sitting in a chair, buttocks, feet. Yeah. Cross-legged positions, buttocks, and probably your knees, most likely. Yeah. And if the knees don't reach the ground, which is common and fine, <laughs> nothing wrong with that, um, we can do two things. One is, again, we can play a little bit with bringing the buttocks a little bit further up. Yeah, if the buttocks are higher, if we're sitting a little bit higher, the knees will come closer to the ground, and then we can bring support to the knees. Yeah, so a, a soft cushion, a, um, a thin cushion, or a, black, a folded blanket, or sometimes just a um, you know, folded T-shirt or something. You might need very little, um, but just so that the knees are not hanging in the air both protects the knees from injury uh, and creates a more stable uh, posture. Yeah, so we can also do that. Um, another uh, helpful thing to be aware of is the, um, if you've been in the cushion room already, <laughs> you may have noticed that there's cushions with a lot of different fillings in them. Yeah, there's different, there's harder ones, there's softer ones. Yeah? This also can make a difference yeah, for you. Yeah? We're individual, we have different uh, bodies. Um, so you might be finding that the cushion you're on is, is hard, and that's wonderful, or it might be too much. Yeah? Um, might be, you might be finding some back pain, for example, in the lower back. That may be part of the reason. It might be too hard. Same with the benches. Yeah? If you're sitting directly on the wooden part of the bench, maybe worth... Uh, putting something uh, on that so that there's a bit more softness. Or you may be sitting on something that's really squidgy and actually you end up losing the, the stability of the posture. Yeah? Like if you imagine uh, sitting into one of those, uh, what are they called? Bean bags. <laughs> yeah? Can be, yeah, sometimes it might be too much. Yeah? So um, just, just getting a sense of this, and, and part of the sensitivity we're cultivating when we're paying attention, part of our meditation practice. Yeah, it's not other than, it's not different to. Um, so the, the kind of the, the firmness or softness, um, that um, three points of contact, hip, hips above knees, that angle that I was talking about, really helpful for many of us, a little bit of an angle. So easy to do on a bench that's angled and with a chair wedge on the chairs. Um, if you're sitting cross-legged on the ground, you can put uh, a thin cushion underneath the back part of your main cushion. Yeah? And that will also create that little angle. So play with that. And again, with all of this, both with the elevation and the angle, um, we need to find a balance for our body <laughs> so that we're not feeling like we're sliding off. Sometimes we can feel like, oh, it's too much, I'm sliding off. Uh, sometimes we just, it's just a perception, <laughs> and sometimes we should be listening to it. So just kind of notice and, and play um, with that. Um, and with all of these, yeah, we're looking to see, can we create uh, a posture, can we find a posture where the back is as much as possible supported into uprightness um, and, and a degree of ease. Uh, which is not what we're used to doing. Yeah. Not what we're used to doing. If you've ever been uh, 
uh, to a, to in a culture where chairs are used less, you might see how much better the posture is. <laughs> yeah, quite it's quite incredible. Yeah, to see that. So you know, our use of chairs very comfortable the way we, but we we don't use them very well. Yeah, and especially for those of us who work a lot on in front of desks. Yeah, so that has an impact, and we just remember that. Um, so we're building up the, the muscles and we're supporting the body as much as we can in that build-up to, to have less discomfort. Um, so maybe also I'll say, if you're sitting in a chair, uh, we don't sit in a chair the way we normally would. So not all the way back, which creates a slump, doesn't support the back, and not using the backrest if we can, because that again means we need to sit all the way back. Um, so we, we might, you might find it's more helpful to sit uh, halfway into the chair or near the edge, yeah, so that again you have this real sense of groundedness also in the feet um, and that supports the, the back. Um, if you have back issues, which some people do, you know, some chronic or, uh, pain or injury um, and you do need a back support, still helpful to sit further forward uh, and then use some cushions between the back of the chair and your back, yeah, does that make sense? to people. Yeah, if you're sitting in a chair and you do need back support, so you, you, you have that support but you're not sitting all the way um, to the back of the chair. And that's kind of a caveat to bring in with whatever uh, we say today, yeah, there's the, always the individuality yeah, of different bodies, um, different conditions and you know what, 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 um, what you're dealing with with your body, so always adapt. So maybe this might be the last thing, the hands. Yeah, what to do with the hands um, when, we're, when we're still. Um, you may have already noticed different people use different posture. We have a great modeling here from Ramiro. <laughs> so one way uh, of hands, this is a common way, having them um, in, in the lap. Um, again, either on a chair or on the floor might be the same thing. You might notice what you're doing with, you might just have them relaxed or you may actually have the, the thumbs touching together um, or any other variation. Yeah, so that can be one, one thing to do with the hands. Um, other people, if you watch me, I often sit with my hands on my knees, both if I sit on the ground or if I sit in a chair. And it can be interesting to find out for ourselves, what, what is it like when the hands, when the palms are facing down uh, what is it like with the palms facing up? That can be, can, can be a, a um, subtle but significant difference uh, to what happens in the body you know, with that. So can be really worthwhile at the beginning of the sitting as we settle into the posture to check what's the right thing to do with the hands right now. Yeah? And to, to just check and even just try down, up, before you settle into the stillness for the meditation uh, in front of the torso, uh, what feels uh, most supportive. Yeah. Um, the, the weight of the hands can have an impact, the hands and the arms can have an impact on the shoulders and the upper uh, back. So we can also play with bringing them further up. Yeah. So um, we can place a cushion on the lap and so the hands are resting into the cushion and so that weight is actually distributed a little bit differently. That's one thing that some people find that quite significant. 
Um, we can also use another technique, which is to kind of um, tie shawl or blanket somewhere around your waist, find the right height. And you can tuck in your hands into that. Yeah, and so again, the weight of the arms um, doesn't go all the way down the way it would if our hands are in our lap and our knees. Um, the hands are being held actually by the, the shawl and um, the belly, you know, the core of the body. Uh, so that can also be something to play with and, and uh, just check for yourself if it makes a difference uh, to what's going on in the back as, as you play with, you know, are the, are the hands all the way down? Are they further up? Um, have anything to add that's general? Okay, one more general thing. I was remember more to say. Uh, this is particularly for cross-legged positions. So when we sit uh, in any of the cross-legged variations, and you may have seen, there's a few variations that we can use. Uh, it's on the, next to the notice board. There's uh, some uh, sheets there about posture. Um, it's not a symmetrical position. Yeah. So if we sit in a chair, it's symmetrical between the two sides of the body. If we sit cross-legged, I'll just demonstrate awkwardly <laughs> in a chair, I will have, say I sit in this position, yeah. So you see my right leg is in front of my left leg, yeah. So that's not actually symmetrical. The angle of the knees is different and different muscles in the back are being used, yeah. So the muscles on one side will be strained more than on the other. And so we want, if possible, if you're sitting in a cross-legged position, uh, to alternate yeah, the legs between different sitting sessions. Yeah? So, you know, one sitting I'll have my right leg in front, or if you're sitting in a half lotus uh, above, um, and in the next sitting I'll have my left. Yeah? And that means that we're using the body more symmetrically over time. We're not straining one side uh, more than the other. Yeah, so that's uh, something uh, to just keep in mind if you're sitting, uh, if you're using the cross-legged positions. And I just remembered another one. <laughs> this is for all the, the sitting on the ground. Um, also, in the cross-legged position, you might notice the twist to the ankle. Do you see? Yeah. This is not a natural position <laughs> for, for the, the ankle or the foot. Uh, so sometimes it can cause pain, sometimes it can cause the foot to fall asleep. If you're finding that, it can be helpful to, uh, it's not a good season for socks, but you may have a pair of socks with you. <laughs> uh, something like a pair of socks, that kind of size, or one sock, and you place that underneath the ankle joint yeah, when you're sitting. And then the, that ankle joint is supported, and hopefully you can see on my leg that then that's the natural uh, way the leg is supposed to be rather than that extended stretch. Yeah? It's not a biggie. I mean, I don't do it. I'm used to, to that stretch and I don't bother with the socks underneath. Um, good or bad habit, time will show. But um, if, if you do find that the foot in particular falls asleep or you're getting pain, discomfort, that can be really helpful. And also with the kneeling postures, yeah, we're also getting an extension of the ankle that's not natural 
and that may cause again discomfort pain so again a pair of socks or just a bit um, can play with a blanket and just get a little <laughs> corner of the blankets on, on either side underneath the ankles to to just allow the the bend this to be more natural um, and less less extended so maybe kind of all these tips and tricks as we call them are getting giving us a sense yeah we're working with the body which is really our ally <laughs> in life and in meditation practice and we want to take care of it yeah it's not you know oh you know it's just in the way <laughs> we should ignore it um, we want to take care of it we understand some discomfort is going to happen yeah bodies are not used to sitting still for 45 minutes some degree of discomfort will be there and yet we want to do the maximum we can to care for the body okay are there any uh, questions, general questions, around the posture? Yes, please. Fidget. You fidget, yeah. So a question around fidgeting, I'm just going to repeat for the back of the hall. Um, and is that, do you notice, it can be interesting to see, is the discomfort first and then the fidgeting, or is the fidgeting coming from restlessness, or a mixture? It's a mixture, but sometimes it's a Mm-hmm, yeah. 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 So there can be. So saying sometimes, uh, sometimes there's an itch, and that kind of increases the the, the the wishing to move, or even coughing, and not really be, being sure did I actually need to cough, or was that just a release <laughs> of the, the the urge to move? So. There can be different variations. Um, we will get different degrees of, of restlessness. Sometimes, uh, we're talking more about it tonight and tomorrow, um, sometimes there may be a, a discomfort, just like an itch. Sometimes it's even just a very mild tickle. I get it with my hair a lot of the time, just a bit of hair on the face. It's really not a big deal. It's not painful. Yeah? Just a little bit uncomfortable and the wish to, to kind of... So it can be restlessness, it can be aversion, it can be a mixture of the two. And the important thing with that is we want to get to know it, yeah? So anything in our experience, we want to get to know it, yeah? We want to we become friends with it, yeah? To the degree of we want to get to know it, we want to understand it. It's not the enemy, so we can have frustration build up. Why am I fidgeting so much? Everyone else is so still. Uh, you know, I can't meditate, I'm ruining it. I'm not saying that's your mind, but our minds tend to do that. Uh, and we just remember, okay, can I get to know this? Yeah? There is restlessness will arise for all of us in different forms. can be more mental, can be more physical, and it will show itself in, ah, I've already moved. So two things to work with that. One is when you notice the urge to move, yeah? just pausing with that, naming it, ah, you know, fidget. <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes it's helpful to call it cute things. <laughs> yeah, Fidgety. <laughs> or whatever is kind of has a sense of like, actually brings a smile to the face. Yeah, And we can see how we smile, something relaxes in that. It's not the enemy. So whatever way we find to just name it, acknowledge that's there. If you're working with the breath, it can help to then breathe and really relax the body as we breathe and then stay with the breath emphasizing the relaxation yeah and that will come it might come again very soon and we work with it again yeah 
Mamira used this word training, yeah, in a really positive way. We're training our minds, our bodies, yeah, to respond differently. And what you're meeting is reactivity. And that's natural to the human being. Yeah? It's not wrong. It's just not always very helpful. <laughs> so we just want to kind of learn to get to know it and respond differently. Yeah? So first thing, notice, be aware. Um, as much as you can, name it helps. And then if you're working with the breath, nourishing breath, calming breath. If you're working with sound, opening to further sounds. Yeah? It opens up the space yeah, again. And then that restlessness is, is less intense because it's being held in a bigger space of awareness. So th- those and, and you're developing really important skills there. So it's not a waste of your time. It's actually really, really helpful skills. The second possibility would be you've noticed after. So you've already moved, yeah? already fidgeted, and then you notice you're fidgeted. And typically, we will not be nice to ourselves <laughs> when we notice that. Yeah? There'll be frustration, uh, there might be uh, criticism. Um, again, we can relate to that in the same way, just to notice, ah, just like we notice when we're present, we notice here, actually, now I am present. I wasn't present, and the reactivity took over. Now I am present. Yay! Sometimes we call it the aha moment. Yeah? Aha. I am moment. I am I am present now. Notice that that happened. Come back. And again use the same thing. The the, the breath that's really nourishing or the sound that's spacious. And you just keep going. And over time, you know, things change. Yeah. That's, that's why it's a training. We notice more quickly the urge. Yeah, we learn to work with these urges without responding to them. We learn to bring kindness and compassion when we've so-called failed. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and we kind of learn to, to le- we learn from all of it. Yeah, learn from all of it. Yeah. Thank you. Anything else? Any other questions? Okay. So if you want to uh, stay, we'll we'll go through and just. Uh, if you'd like to have some particular, so another pair of eyes looking at your posture, welcome to stay and we'll go through and do that with you. Um, and if you want to go out and do some walking practice, then uh, there's time for that as well. So it's your choice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.